Welcome to PTSD 911 Presents. My name is Conrad Weaver. I'm so glad you decided to join us today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part of our community. Daniel Sundahl is my guest today. And for those of you who are not in the first responder community, his name may not ring a bell, but if you are a first responder, you have certainly seen his artwork. Daniel creates amazing pieces of art out of the memory of the traumas that he's witnessed. And we'll hear all about how and why he began this journey in just a minute. So on the PTSD 911 Presents podcast, we talk about mental health and wellness for first responders. Our goal is to have deep conversations that inspire and motivate first responders to take care of themselves and their peers when it comes to their mental health. So today on the show, you will probably hear some things that may uh, trouble you, especially if you're a first responder. So I want to give that heads up and that warning. Uh, we talk about uh, a lot of different things and things that first responders have experienced. So just be aware of that as we move forward. Like I said earlier, my name is Conrad Weaver, and I'm so glad you stopped by to listen or to watch the show. If you're watching on YouTube, I really encourage you to log in and let us know in the comments where you're coming from and if you're a first responder or not. And while this show is pre-recorded, we do monitor and engage on the chat. So we'd love to connect. And if you haven't subscribed, please hit the subscribe button. We're making an effort to hit 1000 subscribers because when we do that, we'll be able to have a much greater visibility on YouTube. YouTube does something uh, with your channel. If you hit a thousand subscribers, they really bump it up so it's more visible. So if you could help us out, we'd really appreciate it. Hit the subscribe button. Let's grow that to a thousand subscribers or more. That would be awesome. We'd also really like to know what you think about the show and how we can improve it. So please leave a review on, on the YouTube channel or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen or watch the show. So Daniel Sundahl or Dan Sun, as he's known, uh, in his in the art world, he's been a paramedic and first responder for nearly 20 years. And over that period of time, he's experienced trauma, as most first responders who've been in the business for any length of time do. You know, and during this time, Daniel began creating digital art that has since blown up and made him a celebrity of sorts in the first responder community. He has more than 110,000 followers on Facebook and nearly 37,000 followers on Instagram. Daniel lives and works in Alberta, Canada, and he is very passionate about raising mental health and PTSD awareness in the first responder profession. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Daniel Sundahl. Well, Daniel Sundahl, thank you so much for joining me today on the PTSD 911 podcast. Yeah, thanks, comrade. I'm happy to be here. It's uh, we've we've been offline. We've kind of talked uh, via email for a while back and forth. And uh, we, this is the first time we've actually connected in person. So it's great mm -hmm. to see you and great to hear a little bit about your story. Um, so tell me a little bit about you. Um, how did you get your start as a first responder? Well, I was living in the Cayman Islands. This is back in probably 1990, 91. And I was training to become a dive master. And part of our program was rescue diver. Hmm. So we're learning how to do that was my first introduction to first aid and, you know, CPR and airway, breathing circulation stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and I really enjoyed it. And we were learning how to rescue people from the water on my way home. 
I saw this guy walk across the street and get smoked by this massive dump truck. Mm. And I got so excited. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to help this guy. I pulled over, ran up there, and this guy was folded in half and his foot was up here. And I had no idea what to do. Mm. I had no idea what to do because if they didn't teach us how to deal with trauma like mm -hmm. that in our dive master program. But I was really, I really wanted to help. Mm -hmm. And the paramedics came and unfolded this guy and took him away in the ambulance. And then that kind of made me think, hey, maybe a career as an emergency worker might, might be up my alley. And mm -hmm. then I pursued career, became an EMR in 93, EMT in 94, and then advanced care paramedic in 2003. Wow. So you've seen some stuff. <laughs> yeah, I've seen stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think so most just, paramedics, emergency workers have seen stuff. Yeah. yeah. So a side note, you still dive? Uh, well, I live in I live in Alberta, in mm -hmm. Canada, and there's not. I'm a bit of a wimpy diver. I learned how to dive in the in the Caribbean, <laughs> in the warm so water. <laughs> the the wetsuits were mostly just so the jellies don't sting you. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I'm not. Uh, I don't do much diving up here. I'm not a dry suit. Mm -hmm. However, I'd really like to. There's some great dive spots in Western Canada with big wolf eels, and mm. really big octopus and stuff. Yeah. No, I haven't done any diving up here. Don't, don't dive as much as I'd like to. Mm. So you've been a uh, first responder for how many years now? Oh, became an, an EMR in 93, but then I took a break, became an English teacher. Okay. So full time uh, since 2003. Okay. So 20 years or so, almost. 20 years-ish, yeah. Yeah. Wow. A long time. Um, so what what gives you I mean what gets you up in the morning to go to work to something like that? What what is the motivation for you to uh rescue people? Well, I to be honest, I don't have that motivation anymore and I don't I'm kind of near the end. I my bucket's full. Mm. So I'm actually gonna retire and I'm gonna go into a new career as a, a mental health therapist. Okay. But when early on my career, it was, it's a very exciting profession. It's even now, uh, I never see the same thing twice. And you can get the same calls, but I never know what's going to happen. And even I would ask my, I would do a call and think, wow, I've, after 20 years, I never, this is something new still. And I decided one of the motivations to become a paramedic and a firefighter was that I really wanted to live a full life and experience as much as I can, kind of live on the edge. Mm -hmm. And that career certainly didn't disappoint throughout mm -hmm. the career. Uh, and that's, it's the level of excitement when you wake up and you don't really know what you're going to see that day. But over time, over 20 years, the feeling of excitement and anticipation, you know, changed for me where... I wasn't so excited to go to work anymore because I feel I'd seen enough of those things and it was starting to have a little toll on my mental health. Mm -hmm. Was there any kind of mental health training awareness in your early days? No. Yeah, no, not in, I think in our textbook, there's maybe a couple paragraphs, maybe not, definitely not a page. Wow. Of just kind of a warning of you're going to see some things and, you know, be careful. But that was pretty much it. Mm -hmm. uh, but back then that we didn't really, we didn't really talk about that stuff. Because mm -hmm. it was, 
well, it's a sign of weakness or, you know, you, you knew what you're getting yourself into, you know, if you can't hack it, get out. Mm -hmm. So to explain for my American, uh, viewers, explain how the system works in Canada, specifically in your area. Okay. Uh, well, in my area, we are provincially run. So Alberta health services, um, has the, is in responsible for the ambulance services in the province. And in my department, uh, I work for an integrated fire department. So we contract to the province to provide um, ambulance services. Mm -hmm. So my shift was I worked 24 hours, I worked 24 hours on the ambulance, and then I was off for 24 hours. And then I worked 24 hours on the fire truck, then I was off for five days. It's actually mm -hmm. a really good schedule. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's pretty, like calls are the same. People have heart attacks the same everywhere on the world. People have strokes the same, traumas the same. Uh, so patient contact protocols are, you know, they vary a little bit. Uh, I was actually living in British Columbia when I decided to become a paramedic. And at the time, Alberta was was the place to be to become a paramedic. So I moved here, moved mm -hmm. back here and did all my training here. Because um, at that time, training in Alberta was the best in the country. Mm -hmm. And so, so how did all these experiences change you? Yeah, well, Karna said that's a big, uh, that's a big question. Pretty complicated. Mm. Uh, you know, for me, I never thought that I, that I would get PTSD because I never had that one call that really, mm -hmm. that I felt I was different because of that one call. And I always thought that's how PTSD worked. Um, is that you had your, that one experience and then you were essentially impaired because of it. And mm. I never had that. And I had many calls over a long period of time that eventually and slowly kind of affected me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really recognize them because they came on so gradually uh, to the point where I was having suicidal ideation and I didn't know. But over time, those traumas affected my brain, changed the brain chemistry. So I lost mm -hmm. the capacity to realize the trouble that I was in. Mm -hmm. And that was really scary when wow. I, you know, when I think about it now. And if I hadn't, there was a psychologist that came to our city. This is back in 2014, which I think now is pretty progressive for my for the city to do that. And he came and spoke with everybody in the city, not just the emergency services, about trauma mm -hmm. and PTSD at a time where people were, weren't really speaking about it. And he was going through all the signs and symptoms of trauma. And I really recognized a lot of them in myself, but I never thought that maybe they were related to work. So after that lecture that I heard him speak at, I went and got assessed and was diagnosed with PTSD in 2014. What did that do to your mentality of, of being a paramedic? And what did that do for you or, or to you? Um, you know, it was to have the diagnosis was actually pretty great because mm -hmm. I didn't. Was it like a relief? Like, like oh, okay, I know what's yeah, wrong. Yeah, because then I felt that I was, that I had an injury versus, mm -hmm. okay, I'm just having a bad day. Mm-hmm. But at that time, my bad day was, okay, well, I'm going to kill myself today, mm -hmm. right? That's, like that was my bad day, right? Mm -hmm. And I didn't recognize that, that that wasn't a very good idea. I just felt at the time that, you know, if I kill myself, then, then I'll be okay. Mm -hmm. uh, then I wouldn't have this feeling all the time. But I didn't really recognize that how, the, what that really meant. Mm -hmm.
Um, so once I was diagnosed and I realized that, no, I have an injury and it needs to be treated. Mm -hmm. So that was really, that, that saved my life, really, mm -hmm. that diagnosis. What was In the process to, to wellness for you then? For me, it was my artwork. Mm -hmm. So when we, when I first had my sessions uh, and I was going through that processing things with my psychologist, uh, I was doing artwork anyways, landscapes and pictures of my dogs and stuff. And, and he recommended that I process the emotions and feelings that I were, was experiencing through my photography. Mm. And I thought that's a horrible idea. Mm. Why would I, why would I want to, <laughs> why would I want to think about, I'm trying to forget, it. I'm trying mm -hmm. to sweep it under the rug mm -hmm. and just don't try to ignore it. Mm -hmm. And he said, just trust me, try it. And so I did. And he was right. Uh, I, all my artwork is photo based that stage. So not, none of it is of actual calls, but sure. there was a, you know, I'd have a think of a, an experience that I had that kept invading my consciousness uninvited and I would stage it, photograph it, and then digitally draw and paint on top of that photograph. And while I do that, I'm trying to recreate what I, how I felt mm. versus what I saw. And it was, it was very emotional and very cathartic for me. And when I was done, that feeling or that negative emotion was no longer in my head. It was now trapped in this two-dimensional picture that I created. So it was very therapeutic for me. And uh, So it was basically like share, you taking that emotion and feelings and taking it out of your head and putting it on this, this canvas, this, this, this digital canvas. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it was. And mm. I didn't really, I, at first I thought it was a horrible idea because it was very emotional. It takes about a week to do each one. Mm -hmm. But during that week, I'm processing it and I'm thinking about it and I'm really getting it out of my head and trapping it into this, this picture. I have a big, this, uh, I can't see on the screen, but right here I have this big uh, monitor and I, it's tilted down and I have a digital pen and it's touch and tilt sensitive. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually putting pressure and drawing on, um, drawing my emotions onto this digital image. So yeah, it's, it's very therapeutic for me. And I wasn't planning on sharing it with anybody. Mm. Um, you know, back in 2014, I didn't want to show my artwork to anybody thinking that I would be, you know, judged and crucified for it because they were showing emergency workers and vulnerable states. Mm. And we just didn't, we're not supposed to be that way. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I didn't share my work for a long time. And when I did, I didn't realize that my peers would attach their own experiences to it. Mm -hmm. And that really made me feel great because that made me feel like I'm not alone. And maybe what I was experiencing was more normal than abnormal. How did doing that kind of art, how did it transform your work or your thoughts of being a first responder, doing the work that you did as a first responder? Uh, all, well, the big thing for me was my confidence went down, uh, and that would, that's, that's a big deal for a paramedic, uh, I guess for any emergency worker, but I was a clinical educator in my department and I was an ACLS and PALS instructor. And that was kind of the guy that people would look to paramedic wise, in my department. And I would go to work thinking, God, I hope I don't get a bad call today because I don't know if I have the capacity to deal with it. Mm. So yeah, it really affected, affected me quite severely where I, I stopped enjoying the work and became more fearful of what my day was going to be. Mm -hmm. uh, 
but again, not recognizing that it was due to the injury that I had, the mm -hmm. mental trauma injury that I had. And uh, once I reckoned, and once I realized what was going on and received the treatment for it, then those symptoms, uh, they didn't completely go away, but they got better. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So, I mean, has your art, has your art impacted the work that you do as a first responder? I mean, like when you're on a scene, do you think, oh, this might be a good piece of work, piece of art? No, no, not at all. Uh, so for me, if I'm on a scene that, that, that sticks with me mm -hmm. at that time, and I'm just speaking on behalf of myself, but I think most emergency workers, when we're at a, uh, at a difficult scene, our blinders are up and we're just doing our job, like mm -hmm. our, the training kicks in and we're doing, and then the effects come, come later after. For me anyways and then that's when that gets imprinted in my head of wow that was really that was really messed up and then it sticks with me for a while and then after i'll think okay i need to process this i need to get this out of my head so my artwork is all really just the result of my therapy mm -hmm. and i'll think about that call and then an image will pop into my head of how i'm going to process the emotion of that and then I try to stage it and photograph it and then draw on top of it to match what image comes in my head. But no, I don't think at the actual time of doing the call that is mm -hmm. we're so focused on what we're doing that, uh, yeah, that doesn't enter my mind at all. What did your colleagues say when you were starting to, hey, let's, I want to stage this scene. Can you come help me? What, what was the response from the people around you? Um, yeah, right. Well, right now that I, because I, I think a lot of my artwork is, is fairly well known in our industry. Mm -hmm. I don't really have a problem finding people that want to be in the artwork. Mm -hmm. But early easy. on, how, how did that? But, but early on, uh, yeah, the very first few pictures that I did uh, with my own department, they were very supportive. Like They were my friends. Mm -hmm. The first few that I did were all, were all my close friends that I worked with. And I just asked them, hey, can you guys help me with this? And they were all, they were all for it. And my chief at the time was also very supportive. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really good. They helped mm -hmm. me out a lot. Mm -hmm. And that just kind of brought some, uh, peace to you and some healing, right? Oh yeah. It's, it's hard to describe, uh, on many different levels, purging that out of my head and trapping it in this artwork, but then seeing how the community attaches their own experiences to it, mm -hmm. uh, and accept it in that way. Uh, that really heals me as well because that makes me feel I'm not alone. And and when I create the artwork, I, it is very personal to me. I don't create it for other people. I don't think, you know, what are people going to think? Or what are people going to want? It's okay. Well, here's one. And sometimes they're weird. Sometimes I'm I'm like, okay, well, this one has to come out and <laughs> this is going to be a weird one. We'll see what happens. There's ghosts and demons and weird angels and stuff in this one. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see what the community, but it's for me, myself, it's my own process. That's how I purge it. That's how I process it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm, I'm a bit nervous when I share it. People have always connected. It seems like the weirder or the more, uh, off, off track the artwork is, the more people seem to really get it and, and mm -hmm. connect to it. Wow. And that, that shouldn't surprise me anymore, but mm -hmm. sometimes, uh, sometimes it does. Now, obviously, unless you have a special camera, you can't, 
can't photograph ghosts and demons and stuff. So you, do you come up yeah, with those? On that's your, a really special <laughs> camera. Yeah. Do you come up with those on your own? Do you, do you just, do you draw those? Do you find them someplace or what, what, what's your process? Yeah, there? sometimes I do. I do subscribe to a couple stock photo mm -hmm. stuff or during the, when I do the photo session, if I know I'm going to put a ghost in there, mm -hmm. then I'll photograph uh, the person that's playing the patient and I'll position them in a different area where I'm mm -hmm. going to want the ghost to be. Mm -hmm. And then I'll layer the photos. So then I'll, have him i'll place him in there in that position if i know and i do i always know what the end result mm -hmm. should look like mm -hmm. sometimes it doesn't end up that way but when i do the photo session that's when i place the ghost in there mm -hmm. so the camera nerd in me wants to say okay what kind of gear do you use <laughs> uh well i use i shoot with the sony so when i travel i shoot with a, a sony um a7r4 mm -hmm. which is great i i think the technology Sony's using is amazing. I used to shoot Canon, which was great. Mm -hmm. The truth is I manipulate the images so much that I could probably use my phone and, and get the mm -hmm. same results because I, I the, the images are really just a reference for right. when I create the artwork. And then my studio camera is uh, Fuji GFX 100, a medium mm -hmm. format, 100 megabyte monster, which hurts my computer when I, I work with those files. But uh, yeah, that's an incredible camera. Yeah. And you work in Photoshop for the manipulation yeah, photoshop and lightroom uh mm -hmm. and corel painter sometimes and uh, a lot of the topaz labs and mm -hmm. lots of different software i use yeah. for the audience who isn't a camera nerd i apologize so for that but uh, <laughs> that kind of gets me going too so what was the first photo that kind of blew up for you as far as you know the, the public yeah, the very first one I did was based on a call where a man was hit by a motorbike by a drunk driver and died in the back of our ambulance. And for me, a lot of the the things that really stuck with me weren't wasn't so much the patients; it was the family members or the people around or the witnesses. Those are the things that really haunted me. And for this patient who had severe injuries, uh, he was conscious and died in the back of our ambulance. Mm. But as he was dying, he regressed to this little boy and was calling for his mother, but saying, mommy, mommy, mommy. And what really stuck with me on that call, and we did everything we possibly could for this kid. Um, well, I call him a kid because he wasn't, he was 23 years old, 22 mm -hmm. years old. Uh, but he was behaving like a little boy as he died calling for his mom. Wow. And that's what really stuck with me was the thought of this mother who, who's never going to know how he actually died. Uh, and at the time thinking she's going to get the worst phone call mm -hmm. of her life and um that's what really stuck with me and that's what really haunted me on that call and this is the first image that i did so the first image is is a paramedic doing cpr two paramedics doing cpr one, one doing cpr the other one working the monitor and his spirit is lifting off his body and then the second picture is the bodies on the stretcher it's called trauma code and the paramedic is sitting in the CPR seat with his gloved hands on his head, which is disgusting. That's horrible. Mm -hmm. And then the spirit of the patient is in the airway seat, looking at the paramedic and he's angry, mm -hmm. not because he didn't save him, but because he failed his mother is what mm -hmm. my, how my mind works for that. Mm -hmm. And then when I created that picture, yeah, it felt, it felt better to do that. But again, I never wanted to share that with anybody mm -hmm. because it showed this paramedic with gloved hands on his head mm -hmm. being distraught. There's a ghost in there. There's a dead body and there was trauma. I, I Photoshop all the, I paint all the trauma in. And yeah, it was, um, I never intended to share that with anybody. 
but after a few months, uh, I thought I would just cause it looked very, you know, it looked cartoony and I thought the colors looked good. And mm-hmm. I thought I'd share them with my friends on Facebook, all of whom I knew personally, I think I had 30 friends on Facebook and then it blew up. I went from 30 to 30,000 mm-hmm. followers on after that photo. I thought my phone was broken. So what I didn't realize, what I was scared of, the exact opposite happened, mm. is that many other emergency workers looked at that and attached their own experiences to it. And I think before that, there was nothing, we really weren't discussing mental trauma and mental health and mental well-being. That really wasn't a popular topic. This is 2014. And um, yeah, I think it was a, a big shake of the tree for, for a lot of people. Mm. And that photo changed my life. Wow. Now I travel the world exhibiting and speaking on mental health and post-traumatic growth mm-hmm. because of that picture. Wow. Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of how I met you, how I, how I discovered you just since starting doing the research for this film. And, and as I, you know, on Google and searching and that your, your stuff comes up. And so I want to say from, as my perspective, you know, thank you for doing that. And for Oh, yeah. It's again, it's, it's the product of my therapy. I do a lot of custom stuff too. I do a lot of, um, commissioned artwork and mm-hmm. a lot of image like group portraits that you know promote emergency services in general so when i travel i usually uh, try to arrange something like that mm-hmm. where i show uh my my peers in positive uh environments or group portraits with their vehicles something that uh really shows how cool it is to be an emergency worker mm-hmm. so i try to do that as much as i can Mm-hmm. So all of this has kind of led you to pursue, I guess, an advanced degree in, in psychology or counseling. Is that? Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a two year program for uh, counseling uh, therapy, mm-hmm. a counseling therapist. And so what my plan is now, cause I, after 20 years, uh, I want to, it's just time for me to transition. My bucket's kind of full and I just need to do something else. And, uh, yeah, that's my plan. So I want to develop programs and workshops uh, for my peers. Right now, I speak and travel quite a bit, speaking on post-traumatic growth, and I just share my own experiences and exhibit the artwork uh, during that presentation. And I share the benefits of going through therapy and realizing that potentially you can become better than you were before or a different person than you were before your trauma through the process of therapy and essentially rewiring your brain. Uh, And it's a concept that I learned about through my psychologist and it really kind of gave me hope. It's like this silver lining Mm. around this dark cloud. Um, And I see it almost every day when I speak with with my peers of how people are doing amazing things because of the trauma they've experienced. So when I speak now, that's what I focus on. Uh, But I'm hoping that once I learn why all that actually works, that I'll develop some workshops and travel and still do my presentation as a peer, but then as a therapist or a counselor, then I can say, okay, well, this is what we should do. Maybe here's some things that we can do to, um, if you are feeling these symptoms, here are some techniques or, or this is what the research says or, or that type of stuff is what my plan is. Mm-hmm. Do you know, are you familiar with, uh, I think her name's Kathy Sullivan? Yeah. Yeah, no, Kathy, I don't know quite well, but yeah, we've, we've been in communication with each other. Okay. Yeah. She, we, uh, spent a couple of days with her for the film and actually did an interview with her, then did a, mm-hmm. uh, a session with one of the fire stations that she works with. And 
where they got together, this group, whole, whole group of firefighters got together and they created art and uh, we got to film that. It was pretty, pretty amazing to watch the oh, process good. of here are these, these guys just come off shift, guys and gals just come off shift. And, you know, it was like seven 30 in the morning. So everybody's chugging coffee and, and then we're joking and laughing. And as they, as they started to forget about the camera, they started talking. And the art just kind of pulled it out of them in, in a way. And uh, it was really fascinating to watch and to listen to their stories. And as they just talked, even about how what they were doing that day helped, helped the process, the stuff that they experienced. Yeah. Yeah. Kathy's, Kathy's great. Um, there's, a, there's a specific uh, specialty for psychology where you can do art therapy mm -hmm. as a uh, it's a specific practice because yeah, it is very therapeutic. And, and some of that art is, I, I was in Australia and I toured through Australia and I went to a facility where they had, um, patients that were suffering severe PTSD and they were there for, I think it's a, they're there for 30 days. And part of their program is, is art mm -hmm. and they display it all on the wall. And man, this was amazing mm -hmm. artwork, uh, which kind of makes sense, you know, as they're going through their therapy and art as being an expression of what you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not surprised that it was, it was, it was really incredible and insightful images to see. Mm -hmm. um, and I, like I'm, I love artwork and I, and I study it, but when I look at artwork, I, I'm more interested in the artist because mm -hmm. uh, I, I believe that art is the result of the experiences of the artist. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm always interested in hearing the backstory of, of the art pieces and, and what the artist was going through. Mm -hmm. uh, and what motivated them to create that out of that sculpture or whatever that the art medium is. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's great. I'm, uh, I'm excited to see that when you, yeah. when that becomes available. It was interesting back. So I have a degree in psychology, you know, years and years ago, and I worked in a, in a psychiatric hospital for a number of years and we had an art therapist there that worked with our adolescent program. And that's where I had the first introduction to art therapy. And it was really fascinating to uh, to hear his diagnosis or perspectives by looking at a patient's art, you know, he would have, I think one of the first things he would always have these, these kids draw is draw your house. And he said, he said it would really show him how they view their family of where they appeared yeah. in the house, you know, whether they were detached from it or whether they were there at all, you know, if there were people in the house and then he would have him draw a tree. He would give him any of the instructions, just, just draw a tree. And he said, you know, most of the time, if they were severely depressed, the tree was always dead. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was just really fascinating to hear him. And he would bring these pieces of art to the, the psychiatrist for, for these big analysis, you know, when they get the whole team together. And they would use this uh, in their diagnosis and their treatment plan. And uh, it was pretty fascinating. Yeah, it's really interesting. I was at a conference uh, and I was displaying, I had a booth and I was displaying the artwork and this lady came up and, and she and she looks at it and she's like, oh, I've seen this guy's work. This guy's messed up. I'm like, I know, right? He's like, what is he creating this crazy stuff? And she's like, yeah, what is what is this guy doing? And and I, I laughed. But that is shows that the the art and some of my stuff is like my stuff is dark. Mm -hmm. Some of it's quite dark and um, and not everyone understands it. Mm -hmm. And then once I when she realized who I was, she was a bit embarrassed and we laughed about it and we mm -hmm. chuckled and 
has your uh, art like, yeah, that guy's has your depictions that you've done over the years has it transformed has it changed in the 10 years you've been doing this yeah yeah it has it's now i'm i'm doing uh and, and i'm always experiencing new things mm -hmm. uh, and my artwork isn't isn't only about the emergency services like i've gone through a lot of other changes in my life um some some grief and some loss and and i've that's come out in some other images that aren't necessarily emergency services specific uh so yeah i've always have it's always going to be a tool for me to express and purge and process whatever i'm going through whether it's you know from emergency services or not and uh you know as a from a long career of 20 years i still have lots of stuff in my head i need to get out uh, and experience so i'm I'm always working on on new art pieces and some of the stuff i don't share with anybody mm -hmm. um because it's just too personal and but it's still very therapeutic for me right when i'm done it's it's i print it and i catalog it and it's and it's there but um mm -hmm. it's not for everybody so this might be a strange question but if there were a magic pill that you could take and all this trauma would disappear from your life would would go away would you take it? That's a good question. And I've, and I've heard from other people that say that they wouldn't. Uh, if I could take it today, yes. But if you would say, if you could go back in time and prevent it, then no. Mm -hmm. Because I'm in this post-traumatic growth phase. I'm doing things like speaking with you and traveling the world and exhibiting my artwork because of my trauma. Mm -hmm. uh, and because of that, that's, that's brought me you know, so much joy and fulfillment and a sense of value that I may not have received otherwise because of that trauma. So I'm grateful for that trauma uh, and the healing process. I'm lucky uh, that I, someone recognized what was happening and I was diagnosed and treated. But yeah, sometimes I wish I could just take a pill now and just, <laughs> and just but you know what, if that was, if that was to happen, uh, my artwork would be quite a bit different. That's what, be, that's what my next yeah. question was going to be. Would, would your artwork change? Oh, a hundred percent. I would mm -hmm. I'd do pictures of flowers and <laughs> nature. You know, I've always wanted to be a landscape photographer or a wildlife photographer. Mm -hmm. I was like doing that stuff. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. It would change. Yeah. If I didn't have anything to purge and get out of my head, mm -hmm. then I would, the artwork, the artwork would, would be completely different. And as a result, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't be as popular because mm. other people probably wouldn't connect to it as, mm -hmm. as deeply. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's a fascinating, well, it's fascinating art for one thing. And as someone who comes from the outside, as far as outside of the first responder arena, I think it's uh, it's amazing work and uh, congratulations on the success of that. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, what do you feel has been your signature piece and why is that important? Uh, you know, I don't know if I have a signature piece. Everyone connects to it based on their own experiences. So I really feel that the artwork is, is just a catalyst or a medium for other people to process their own. So it's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, some people will really deeply connect with certain images uh, and that same image people won't at all. So I don't, you know that that one I told you that's the trauma code one and two the mm -hmm. very first picture I did that one surfaces every once in a while 
and that's one that's that's quite popular uh, and well known. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is the uh, ambulance disaster. What's kind of like the sepia tone of this paramedics in the back of them. So he's just standing there. There's no trauma. There's no mm-hmm. ghosts. There's nothing weird in it. Uh, but a lot of people really connect to that one, and that one's that one's used and circulated quite often, even though it's it's quite old now. Mm-hmm. That keeps resurfacing quite often. That one. Mm-hmm. And on your journey, uh, specifically on this art journey, have you ever, and this might be a weird question, but have you ever lost your way? Mm, no, no. Yeah, no, I, I, I know, I know what your, what the question is. Like if I lost my muse, mm-hmm. but, uh, no, I've always, I always have things to process and get out of my head because mm-hmm. it's not the artwork is is just the result of my therapy, mm-hmm. right? So it's just kind of a, I don't do it to create artwork. I do it because I need to get stuff out of my head and purge some negative emotions that I'm having. So, and I, I'm, unfortunately, I'm not, <laughs> not lacking <laughs> those emotions. So I always have lots of material to work from and it always seems to be coming in. Now that I'm not working on the, on the ambulance and fire truck anymore, it's, uh, the bucket's starting to get a little bit less full, which mm-hmm. is great. But uh, yeah, there's still stuff that always always goes in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there's a long, like even now, I haven't created anything in, in, in a few weeks. I do do memorial portraits every day on, on a separate, uh, separate page. Mm-hmm. And I do that for free and for nothing. Uh, so that keeps me like with still doing creativity, mm-hmm. doing some creative stuff, which I always wanted to want to do. But to do the really, like, what am I need to, per- and I do have a couple in my head that I got to get out and I'm still trying to figure out what the image is going to be to portray that complex idea. And then once that image pops in my head, then I'll set up a photo mm-hmm. session and we'll stage it and photograph it and, and go through that process. But um, yeah, I've never, I've never felt I've lost my way. Mm-hmm. What is needed to really help first responders start well so they end up finishing well well comrade again that's a huge giant question if there's only a pill everyone could take which there they might be able to which is oddly enough but uh yeah i think there's there's different types of stressors right so there's stressors that we know we're going to experience we know we're going to see trauma we know we're going to see suffering people we know we're going to see you know children we know that's going to happen uh, but there's other stressors that are controllable uh, that we can probably work on. Uh, workplace environments, uh, being trauma informed, with um, you know being self aware of, of what how the trauma is affecting you. Um, so there's lots of things that we can control to make the environment that we work in and the environment that we know that we're going to see these uncontrollable. Uh, stressors a bit more easier to to handle um i when we, resiliency is a big word that people talk about and i don't i don't think you can this is my own opinion and my own personal experiences i think resilience comes from experiencing stuff right it's it's walking through that gauntlet and then that's how you get resilient how resilient are you from that experience? 
I think you can be educated and, and be made aware of, of potential signs and symptoms. I think that's very important. So you can maybe recognize it. I think normalizing trauma. So it's not so weird to say, Hey, that call broke my mind. I need to get checked out and people aren't going to look at you weird. Uh, I think that that is something that can, that should happen. And I think we're getting better at it. Uh, definitely better than we were even three or four years ago. And there's lots of stuff happening all around the world. That's, that's really quite progressive and very exciting. Yeah. I've, and I've seen some of that, those changes, even in the few years I've been working on this film, I've seen a movement in the right direction to, uh, mm -hmm. toward more resources and better training and better help for, for first responders. So that's a, that's a positive thing. And, yeah. and that's what we're hoping to, to help even propel that forward, you know, further with, with this film to, uh, to be able to bring, you know, leaders to see other leaders that are making changes that are doing things well. And so I saw we're featuring a number of agencies that are doing amazing things. Amazing. Work. Yeah, that's great. Cause I think we have this, this myopic view of, okay, you have PTSD. It's because of that dead baby that you saw, right. but that may not, that may not be the case. It could be because of your toxic work environment or, you know, bullying and harassment in the workplace. Uh, and those kind of things can be, can be changed. Uh, and, I think a lot of the research and a lot of the money that's going in, like even, oh, I have to be careful what I say, but I'm going to say it anyways, comrade. So in Canada, our government just gave $28 million for, for mental health research, which is great. It's fantastic. Uh, but in my own personal opinion, that's like putting money into a better life jacket instead of trying to fix the boat, mm -hmm. right? There's, we have paramedics that don't have access to mental health support. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have, uh, you know, there's no research or little research being done on toxic workplace environments. And I speak to thousands of my peers and man, I hear it all the time. And it's, I don't want to fault the employers because they don't really know. Mm -hmm. They're not, they don't have the training or the guidance to, to develop a trauma informed work environment for emergency workers. But I wish that money and research was going into that. Uh, I think that's where a big change would happen uh, based on what I've heard from speaking to thousands of my peers. So I don't want to say that it's, I'm thankful that our government is putting all that money toward mental health. And I'm sure that that is going to be very fruitful, but I wish it was, uh, I wish it was more concentrated on fixing the leaking boat instead of making a better life jacket. Mm -hmm. You're about to retire from being a first responder. Um, what are you looking forward to most? You know, I'm 55 and I'm excited to learn something new. Like I'm excited to go back to school. I haven't done anything different for 20, mind you, working in emergency services, we're always training, always learning new things because it's so dynamic, which is another reason why the profession is so wonderful. Uh, but I'm going to be learning something completely different. Uh, so I'm pretty excited to go back to school and to learn that. And I, and I really want to focus on not only the trauma, but spousal support, uh, addictions and, and, and um, substance abuse, because those are all things that are a result of the traumas that we experience. And I want to learn and educate myself about that so I can help my peers, not only through the R work, but as a, as a counselor as well. Mm -hmm. Do you work with any uh, 911, uh, like, like dispatchers or any, any of those people? Yeah, I, I do. Not as much as I... I would like to mm -hmm. actually the memorial portrait I did today was of a dispatcher. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but no, I don't have a lot of access to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do, you know, as a paramedic firefighter, I have lots of access to even police because we work so closely to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wish that my portfolio for dispatches was, was larger, mm-hmm. but I don't have access to do a lot of artwork for them and not as a dispatcher, not, I'm not a dispatcher myself. Right. So when I create artwork for them or for in hospital, which I don't, I don't work, I really have to interview people and really get inside their heads to try to create something that, that truly expresses what, what they're going through. Mm-hmm. I've done a few dispatch art pieces, mm-hmm. um, which have been quite popular, but not as much as I'd like. I did a, I was invited, I was down in Austin, Texas recently, and I was invited to their call center and was able to sit in on uh, some calls. Uh, That was pretty interesting. And actually locally here in Maryland, I'm going to be in a couple of weeks, I'll be doing that again for like almost a whole shift, just to hang out and listen and hear what they're doing. And they're trying to get permission for me to do some filming in there, uh, Mm -hmm. at least just to catch some B-roll. So I'm hoping to be able to do that. Um, Yeah, I did that in Houston. same thing. I didn't really, I was getting a lot of requests to do artwork for dispatchers and I didn't get it as an, as a ignorant paramedic, mm-hmm. like dispatchers, when you guys just answer phones all day. Mm-hmm. And then I went and sat and uh, did a, a project for uh, Harris County Emergency Corp in Houston. And, and I asked if I can sit in with their dispatchers and, and I interviewed them. I'm like, look, tell me what's happening. And man, that, that interview, when I spoke with them, the stuff they told me curled my toes. Like it yeah. was so I think in many ways it's worse. Yeah. So I have lots of respect for dispatchers and I want to support them as much as I can. Uh, and I did a lot of artwork that day too. Mm. Probably the most popular dispatcher artwork I've done is from that mm. uh, visit down in Houston. Mm. Yeah. There are so a couple of big organizations, APCO and Nina are really excited about this film. And I'm actually was given the stage at both of those conferences this year to make a oh, short great. presentation. So really excited about including them in, in this film process. And it really wasn't on my radar until a guy locally here said, you know, he was a president of our fire company. He said, Hey, what do you, you know, how, are you including 911 you know, dispatchers? I said, well, no, you know, you please tell me about that. And he told me, well, we, we hear it. We don't see it. So we imagine it. And then we don't have closure. And yeah. uh, so I was like, wow, that, that, that would be a problem. And so, yeah. And often they're there when it's happening. Yeah. Like they're on the phone while people are being murdered. Or yeah, being exactly. Killed. Like, and we usually show up. Usually we show up after right. that fact. Right. Well, they're actually on the phone while it's happening yeah. and then it hangs up and then they're, that's it. Yeah. So yeah, they're the stuff that, that they, they certainly educated me that day when I was mm-hmm. talking to the crew there. It was, it was great. Yeah. Really opened up my eyes. Very cool. Um, I just kind of want to wrap up here, but I want, I want to, I want you to talk about, Talk to that first responder who's kind of in the middle of it and they don't know what to do. They don't know who to talk to. Yeah. Uh, we didn't even start. We didn't even talk about stigma. Yeah. Uh, and I know if you rec, if you, if you recognize what's happening, that's, that's a win right there. Mm-hmm. If you recognize what's the symptoms that you're having, but if you even suspect that you are suffering symptoms of mental trauma, you can just go online and Google search online self-assessment, mm-hmm. online or self PTSD assessment and stuff will come up mm-hmm. and you can do, no one's going to know you do it. No one's going to know your family your spouses, your employer, your coworkers aren't going to know that you do that. But based on what you answer, and most of them are between 
15 and 40 questions. It will give you some suggestions or it will say, you know, based on what your answers are, here are some resources in your area, right? And no one needs to know about that. Now, unfortunately, that, you know, the, the resources or the cost for, for treatment, I guess it varies depending where you are. Uh, may vary, but Code Green campaign, they're great. They have a lot of resources depending on where you're from. So if you do go online and you and you search and it comes up with all these red flags that you know you need you need to get assessed, then yeah, that would be the first thing is get diagnosed. Go get because it could be burnout. And there's a difference between burnout and, and PTSD. But a psychologist trained in that type of diagnosis would be able to tell that. And then once you have that, then you can get treatment for that. And if you can't afford the treatment, there's other resources out there. Code Green Campaign can probably help you out with uh, free resources in your area. Um, but yeah, that'd be my suggestion: is don't ignore it. You know, it, if it is trauma-related symptoms, it may not get better; it may just get worse and worse and worse until the brain chemistry switches, like it did for me, and really altered my reality. Mm-hmm. Really, mm-hmm. it's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you. Uh saw that happening and got help. So mm-hmm. that's great. So in, so just to clarify in Canada, do you guys get uh, like healthcare for mental health? Is that part of your? No, no. Uh, well, it depends where you are. Like my department depends on what your benefit plans are. So we get uh, $750 a year for psychological support, mm-hmm. but that's, you know, a psychologist is what, 150, $200 an hour. So sometimes that money just kind of gets you started. Mm-hmm. And just like a good coffee, it may take you a couple of visits to different psychologists to find one that you really click with mm-hmm. before you find that brand of psychologist that's really going to work with you. Mm-hmm. So that money really doesn't go very, very far, unfortunately. Now, there's other places that have much more robust uh, benefits mm-hmm. for them. But I know there's some organizations that are really working to include that as just normal if you're an emergency worker that that's just covered under our normal our, our normal medical mm-hmm. uh, benefits and hopefully that happens mm-hmm. well daniel it's been great talking to you thank you for coming on the ptsd now one presents podcast i really appreciate uh, you appreciate your artwork appreciate what you are doing for the first responder community no i appreciate it Conrad. thanks for having me on the show and uh and i'm excited to see the movie when it's when it's all done me too <laughs> i know it's been a it's been a lot of work it's been a lot of work yeah it's been yeah. a lot of work but it's uh it, it's i'm really excited we're we, we're, we're kind of counting down the months now till when we're done daniel thanks so much for sharing your story and for sharing your art with all of us and if you'd like to reach out to daniel and check out more of his artwork please visit dansunphotos.com or on his facebook and instagram channels and i'll be sure to put links in the show notes below Thank you for listening and for watching the show today. Please consider subscribing, like I said earlier, whether you watch on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button and then share this content with your tribe. Would really greatly appreciate that. Also, if you can make a donation toward our film project and toward the work that we're doing here on the show, we're working hard to complete the film and look forward to releasing it later this year. Visit our website ptsd911movie.com for more information. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Take care. Take care of yourself. And I'll see you again soon.